The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afsharirad. Today we bring you part two of our two-part interview with David Weber and Jacob Hollow about The Welltall File, the latest installment in their Gordian Division series. But first, the news. Head on over to Bain.com and stock up your e-reader with great short stories with this month's ebook sale. One of Bain's missions has been to help readers rediscover great short works of science fiction and fantasy from the past, as well as to highlight recent stories that may well become the classics of the future. And no one at Bain has done more to help further these ends than Hank Davis. With over a dozen well-received theme anthologies to his name, Hank has curated a rich legacy for science fiction and fantasy readers with more to come. So this month, in honor of the mass market paperback release of Davis's Time Troopers, co-edited with Christopher Rocchio, we're offering discounts on all anthologies edited by Hank Davis. Additionally, for the month of June, we're offering titles edited by Hank Davis in a special discount bundle. Only need a few titles to round out your collection? Enjoy $1 off individual ebooks. This sale is good wherever Bain ebooks are sold and expires at the end of this month. And that's it for the news. So, which character in the Veltal file surprised you? Uh, well, um, so a lot of, the, for the most part, you know, the characters don't really surprise me. Um, as I'm sort of, you know, designing out, because when, when I'm, you know, developing a character, there's already a role in the story, you know, the, the, the skeleton of the story is there. And so I'm like, okay, I need certain tools to move this story along. And, and one of the tools is characters. Okay, well, you know, what, what kind of character goes in this slot? Um, but sometimes the, 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 the details perhaps surprised me. Um, and and the, the one that comes to mind is uh, um, Ivan Zoe, who's uh, he's a, a very minor character. Uh, he, he's only there for one scene. Um, and he he's the very unhealthy health nut. Um, and, right, um, <laughs> and, and this poor guy, is is being scammed with with snake oil and he's just so proud of how he's taking care of his body and and isaac's trying to get him back on track because he's got a case to solve yeah. and this guy is going on about you know how he only drinks comet water and how he he, he takes pills to filter out the toxins from his body and it's all just a load of bull <laughs> and um that that part was not planned it, it just sort of happened. happened i i knew i wanted to do something amusing with the character 
Um, but I sort of decided what the, that it was going to be in the moment that I just kept chuckling to myself and going deeper down that road. I was and, thinking rabbit hole myself, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rabbit hole, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you end up with, with the, the line, you know, the, the exchange where he's like, oh, you know, I've got this cough. Oh, I have to take just one of my, my CT pills, you know, it, it'll, everything, it'll clear up everything. And, I was like, you know, I'm almost afraid to ask, but what's a CT pill? So, oh, it's concentrated topsoil. It, it filters out the bowels. It's like dirt. <laughs> you eat dirt. <laughs> I think, I think, okay, Jacob is the engineer and I'm the historian, okay? And I think in some ways it shows in how we approach uh, uh, characters. Um, Jacob is definitely not what I would think of as a pantser when he writes, okay? Now, I've worked with people who are like, this is how it's going to be. Don't argue with me, characters. Don't argue with me, plot line. I don't want to hear about the technology. This is how it's going to be, and I will make it be this way, whatever it takes, and I will get every single thing I put into that outline into this book one way or the other. Okay. They are crazy. All right. But I've 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 worked with them. Okay. Um, I have a tendency to know where I'm going and where I'm gonna end and to build the world as I go along. So like I'll be going along and say, okay, now I got to deal with these guys over here. And I will sit down and I will stop and I will design their society and their culture and whatnot. But I hadn't done it till I got to that point. All right. And in the process, that informs the later development of the storyline and so forth as I go along. But my characters tend to do the same thing as well. And so my characters seldom surprise me in the sense of didn't see that coming. But I am sometimes, I am frequently ending up at destinations other than I expected to end up with, with the character because of the way that the elements of the story coming together as I went along impacted on that character and caused that character to change and develop as, as the story went along. When I set out to do the Honor Harrington novels originally, Honor is her character is changing and growing all the way through those first two novels. But because of the nature of the books, I baked in stuff that was going, the reader was going to think they knew something about her and then find out it was something totally different as, as we moved along. So I baked in some sort of uh, kiln fired character development. Right. That would actually be revealed by peeling away layers of the character you already knew, if you follow what I'm saying. And by the time I'd done that, I had the character up and running enough with new growth uh, and so forth in the course of the stories that it 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 kept the process going. All right. That's the closest to really pre-designing characters as I tend to come. Okay. But, like I say, I introduced Tom Feisman in Honor of the Queen, 
the second book in the series. And I knew all along that down the road, 10, 11, oh, I didn't think it was going to be that many books. But when I got there, he was going to be the guy who restored the Republic. Okay, so I it's not that I don't tuck characters in, that I don't have plans for them. But I do think that of the two of us, I, ten, I tend to more embrace the chaos of, of building the universe. And, and Jacob tends to be the guy who is standing on the deck of the ship, holding the other end of the lifeline while in, in these, at least while, while we work our way, work our way through. It, it's really weird because in some ways I'm the, the navigator for the series as a whole, the literary universe as a whole, but Eric, Eric, sorry, sorry, it's Jacob. I know, I just, I miss Eric. But anyway, but Jacob is the one who is doing a lot more of the day-to-day -day evolution of the of the societies and the technologies um, uh, moving forward. One of the things that he, he that was was baked in from the beginning that I really hadn't thought that much about is that one of these cultures is basically a post scarcity. And that's Cisco. Admin is just sort of entering that phase. And one of the things that you get to see here is how is the admin going to be adjusting to this? And Cisco is already an adjusted system. Okay. Right. I really hadn't thought about that side of things when we put it together. And when I saw Jacob doing it in the books, I was like, okay, this is good. This is this is this is really good. And that's part of what I mean about I may have sort of strategic oversight on where the series is going. All right. Although I will say that in the book where he's not going to be permitted to to uh, to uh blow up a universe okay the original rather audacious concept for that book which by the way the first seeds of were planted in this book as part of that background stuff yeah. that you didn't see okay was jacobs and when he first told me about it i said say what okay so we, we've worked on it to refine it some since then, <laughs> but it's it's really kind of cool. Uh, it's, I still can't decide whether people are going to be hugely pissed with us or going to be like, well, that worked <laughs> at the end of the book. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. But I will say... Jacob, do you think we're going to do that as the next protocol book, or do you think we should maybe tuck one more in there? I, I, I think we we could do that as the next one because I just don't know what we follow that one with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 <You> know, <laughs> I mean, uh... admittedly, you know, it's a step down from destroying universes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we 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 just destroy all physics, but yeah, well, you know, what the heck, you know, <laughs> but, we'll, we'll you come know, up with something. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, the, the, the Children at home, concept. this is how this is how collaborative authors work. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah, check. I'm, we're we're you know we're in the process of working on um, the, the sixth book in the series, which uh, is, uh, will be the third uh, protocol book. And it's, uh, it, it's shaping up quite nicely. Um, I, uh, 
I unfortunately uh, took a bit of a break uh, from working on, on my portion of it for some health issues, but I am back in the saddle working on it. And it's, uh, I'm uh, quite excited to, to hand over my work to David um, in probably two or three months, I think. Cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, after that one, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Andromeda protocol might uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a question of when we go that big, what, how do we top it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay, That's... we killed we killed an entire, what, how many universes in the first book? Uh, well, okay. I mean, we actually only, only killed one. But, only yeah. one, but, yeah. but then, then we, we topped that by destroying three universes in Valkyrie. Yeah, and we're not uh... planning on destroying any universes in Andromeda, so in a way, it's a step back. <laughs> <laughs> It won't feel that way to the people. Uh, no, no, it won't feel that way. It's yeah. it's enough to say that we have some pretty epic concepts uh, for for future novels, but also on the the file side of things, um, uh, I, I've got tucked away quite a few very um, very tight tight, you know, uh, in, you know, kind of zoomed in. You know, uh, they're smaller scale, but they're kind of more intimate stories, and I think that's that's what you know, the files do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it, it gives us an opportunity to you know explore corners of, of the setting that you know when you're dealing with you know existential threats, you don't have time <laughs> to watch the scenery. <laughs> you know, to 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 visit some of these really interesting, really. Um, fun corners of. I, I honestly think that the <clears throat> file books, in many respects, have more legs than the protocol books do because the protocol books are such grand scale. Okay. Uh, the file books can deal with some pretty darn grand scale issues. They really, they, I mean, they, they really can. Like, you know, Andover Chin being killed and then coming back in, in the Janus files, okay, early on. And, and you know, who's the real murderer and how are you doing it, you know, tucked away in there. Um, but they're homier, if, if you follow what I'm saying. Well, for me, I, for me, it's the, it's the projection of, and this is natural for a reader, it's a projection yeah. of myself in this universe as a person dealing yep. with the universe, as opposed to as a government Cisco admin yeah. or a, a high head honcho in that, in that government organization trying yeah. to deal with these existential threats to everyone, as opposed to the, the day-to-day, -day, you know, Oh, absolutely. look both ways. Well, I, think, I, think, street kind of thing. I think, I think possibly the most um, challenging part of coordinating the two is the, the, the two casts of characters okay on the grand scale at the the, the the upper strata it's the same characters on both sides but when you get into raybert and benjamin and 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 their crew in the protocol books and then you got isaac and susan and uh Sefi and 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 whatnot in in the file books we got some crossover in in janus and we need to do that every so often on the all the way through in order to tie the books together and not have the sense that they're moving 
apart. Do you, right. do you see what I'm saying? And that could be a little challenging. Now, on the other hand, we have some established relationships that give us some excuses here for them to call in somebody from the other side. Okay. Right. Uh, in the Andromeda protocol, there's not going to be possible to call in Isaac <laughs> you know, for, for, for the, uh, for the, the Gordian crew. Um, but going forward, it should certainly be possible. And, and, you know, Isaac is a good cop. Susan is a good cop. Uh, although Susan still is of the theory that, you know, if you shoot them dead, you don't have to worry about what they might do at some point in the future. Uh, there's a very low recidivist rate, you know, for dead people. Um, but, um, I think that, um, because they're good cops, okay, they've got a Rolodex, really, okay, of contacts that they've made that they can reach out to for help. So if we present them with a physics problem, okay, they know and over chin now, all right. So they can they can say you know well you know he might be able to help us out, okay. If they if it's a time situation, okay, then they know okay we can talk to Raybert, we can talk to Benjamin. Um, well, I, I enjoyed so I think, that. I enjoyed that aspect of the of the Janus file where they're uh, they're debating whether or not they can even ask for a certain privilege, mm -hmm. and uh, Susan's like, "We can, but I really want to be careful about how I word this," and yeah. like spends an inordinate amount of effort. And the guy who's making the decision that she's appealing to to make the decision is like, "I don't have time to read all this stuff." <laughs> just do it <laughs> just do it and you know yeah. it took yeah. less time for him to make the decision than it did for yeah. him to read it yes you know, and yeah. that kind of thing yeah. so that's yeah. that's a neat aspect of the that uh expanding worldview yeah. from the seated position of the of these these characters because i haven't read the protocols yet i i uh, oh, tight reading schedule that. i've got but i'm digging the, the files because yeah. the files give me you know that that I'm seated in this in this world, and I'm able to see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, from their perspective, and you get hints of stuff, which is like real life. Like you get hints of why think people are doing or countries are doing stuff, but you don't know. Well, I, don't, I will I will tell you this: the only human character, okay, in well, no, the two only two human characters in the Guardian Protocol who don't die <laughs> that were from from yeah well actually, okay schroeder would have to well no we, we have more than that because schroeder's guys survived too didn't they the handful that survived yeah, the, the yeah. fight yeah there's there's so there's maybe what 30 people 30 characters but only like three major named characters who you mm -hmm. meet who actually are still on their feet at the end of the book yeah okay um the the body count is is high <laughs> All right. Uh, but I honestly think that having said, okay, the body count is high and, and everything else, I it's definitely it's not a splatter novel. I've seen a lot of those, okay, where you just kill everybody in sight. It's not George Martin's Red Wedding, okay. And I don't think it's gonna have that impact on readers who haven't read it yet. I think right. they're gonna look at this and they're gonna understand the sacrifice and whatnot that was was involved in it. Um, and that's another side of just like I said, you know, we're looking at moral responsibilities. We're also looking at sacrifice. We're looking at what these people give up, what, what they have to, what they have to give up. 
Um, one one thing that I wanted to uh, touch on about uh, the the kind of future trajectory of the series slash series plural <laughs> singular <laughs> plural uh, <laughs> yeah. Gordian division books yeah. moving forward is that um, uh, so you have you know the um, you know the, the the protocol the epic scale stuff you have the, the files the more intimate uh, stories. But uh, book six, uh, the Thermopylae Protocol, that you know, it's about about two thirds of the way done right now. Um, those two threads um, meet up, and and they meet up in very significant ways. Um, and there's uh, and one of the reasons why um, uh, Isaac and Susan get called in is that there is a very unexpected murder of yes. a very significant character. And uh, readers are not going to expect it. Yep. <laughs> they're not going to see it coming until uh, boom. <laughs> and they're going to be like, oh, I'm so pissed with them. You know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, trust me, been there, done that. <laughs> so we got a little bit away from talking about characters, but uh, is there anybody specifically in the Veltal file that you would want to avoid like the plague and why? <laughs> yeah. I think the first one that comes to mind is uh, Lacan. Um, I just, just, just avoid that guy like the plague. <laughs> he, he's trouble. He's got a bad attitude. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the cops are, 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 it, are keeping an eye on him. It's just, just stay clear of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are several in there that I would, want to avoid um uh the guy with the i can never remember his name the the, the guy, yes i i would stay away from him uh you know personally it's kind of like he's one of those guys you stay away from because you found something unexpected on the bottom of your shoe if you know what i'm saying i mean he's just like yeah. you're going and like you, and you warn friends and family yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of like when the guys in admin are saying you can do stuff like that. And, and Isaac's having to say, well, if you got the right permits, yeah, the admin is going like, I don't know if we really want to get a lot closer to these people. I like the way Isaac handled that too. It's kind of shamefacedly. Only when you have specific <laughs> yeah. permits, and, you know, yeah. 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 And she could sue about the use of her likeness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going like, uh, you know, and 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 Elon's worried about AI. <laughs> you know? right. I think I think one of the best comments I've seen on that whole thing is we shouldn't worry about AI. We should worry about what humans are going to do with AI. You know, and there's actually I think some of that um, in 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 these these books more from the admin side than from uh, Cisco side. But yeah, I, I would stay away from him. And uh, on the opposite side of that coin, which would you want as an ally? Well, I mean, uh, uh, I think uh, Susan would be pretty cool to have uh, as as backup in in just about any situation. Especially if she gets to bring her frame, yeah. You know. Uh, <laughs> I this is going to surprise people a little bit because it surprised me a little bit. Jason Shigeki. 
I mean, Jonas? Jonas, Jonas, Jonas. Jonas okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing a lot of that word mm -hmm. substitution, especially since the COVID. Um, but um, all the letters were there. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, I have to say that the 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 Jonas that you meet in the Guardian Protocol, who is this Jonas without the Jonas Protocol, you would not think of as a strong character, as as somebody you know going forward, because of the nature of the way the plot works out, the situation he finds himself in. Okay. The Jonas in the in in the file books and in and in the Valkyrie Protocol, okay, you get to see a lot more deeply into the character, and he's the same guy, but you're seeing a different aspect of him, a different face of him. Right. It's it's a little bit you can kind of see it in the first book, and this was interesting when I went back and was thinking about this, Jake. Went back and looked at it. You can see it in the way he approached the game that he was playing at that time mm -hmm. okay the decisions that he was making what he was looking for in the game you can kind of see that same mentality that same mindset working its way out here he's he's really i think an intriguing kind of guy um and i understand exactly why uh what's his name uh the the intel guy for uh david uh whatever his last name is Kopf, Kopf, whatever it is. The, 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 yes, yes. Yeah. The, 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 the Intel guy, I can see exactly why he like doesn't even want to see Jonas coming. <laughs> you know. It's like, I, I, what I are you going to do to me today? No. It's like, you don't even know what I'm going to ask. <laughs> I found it's much safer to just tell you no. No, yeah. <laughs> don't darken my door again. Yes, uh, yes. So the, the, uh, we talked about this last time when we were talking about the previous book, but uh, the Welltel oh. file follows a pair of investigators, Isaac and Susan, as they investigate death threats or murder, civil unrest, and other attacks. Um, having had some personal experience in these arenas, I was quite excited to find the investigation and procedures were well handled, uh, and even the occasional tension between local, federal, and in this case, international, with the, between the admin and Cisco yeah. uh, investigative arms, very well portrayed. Uh, even to the point where investigators granted certain powers have no idea of the true extent of those powers until <laughs> yeah. until somebody else explains to them, well, yeah, you can do this. Here's your warrant. You don't have to appeal wait, to wait, anybody. Wait. Here's your, you, your fillable you form. Mean, you mean I can take the heavily armed trans-temporal craft? <laughs> yes. Through, through the, across the wall into another universe. Oh, and we'll play around with time while we're at while it. While we're yeah. at it. So did you uh, set out to explore the, the characters' relationship to their work, uh, or did it come about through telling the story in this one, too? I mean, it's, uh, I, I think there was a certain degree of, uh, well, the, um, the, the interactions between, you know, essentially the, the local and federal um, analogs in, in the setting was, was there from, you know, it was there in uh, the Janus file, and it's very you know natural to to yeah. continue that interaction yeah. um, between you know the the local state troopers and you know the state police, and then um, you know CISPOL, which is essentially a, a, yeah. a federal analog. Um, the the quote unquote international um, aspect of it, which which definitely. <laughs> 
um, comes into play in, in this one. I, I think the, the, the scene for that, uh, for me, at least in the very early concept phase for the Beltel file, um, was kind of stemmed from, okay, I, I've, we've got this crime, we've got this, this tournament, what, what's the justification for Isaac and Susan being assigned this case? Because <clears throat> there are plenty of arguments, you know, in favor of, you know, assigning it to someone else because right. they are, you know, they're, they're certainly not inexperienced, but they are more junior members of a very large uh, organization. Yeah. Um, I think of them as just having become field grade if you will, but not yet, you know, there are no eagles or, or stars involved yet. And um, <clears throat> so part of that is by their nature as being two individuals, as members of the officer exchange program, uh, there, you know, there, there's a question, you know, the, this, uh, this crime has occurred, you know, a, a visiting, um, essentially a visiting dignitary, a visiting player has, has received a death threat. And there, you know, the, uh, her security detail and um, the local police are already butting heads. Um, and just having that team by itself, by its nature, solved some of the problems. And so that was sort of the justification. It's like, well, okay, um, that, kind of solves it but then you know Isaac as as a detective doesn't have any authority to you know question admin citizens so then he's granted you know uh, junior probate provisional investigator status which is you know something that Jonas and and uh, Klaus just kind of make up on their yeah, I loved it. I loved it when they had to explain it to Shigeki you know it's say <laughs> what you know Brief me in on this. Yeah. <laughs> what have you guys well, been doing I, while I was away? Yeah. I think of this as sort of how do you handle an international crime when there is no Interpol? Okay. I mean, you know, and and Isaac and Susan by the nature of what they've already done are a logical go-to for an interface, for an investigation that is going to be physically in one universe, but who's the, who the victim of the crime, where the victim of the crime comes from another universe. Right. Okay. And where there are, we'll go ahead and use the term international uh, security issues involved. Okay. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I said that Jonas is becoming one of my go-to guys, because he very clearly understands how this process has to work out. Right. And I think better than anybody else we've seen in the books actually dealing with it. Okay, this is kind of his personal uh, uh, bailiwick, kind of like in the, in the Valkyrie Protocol. Okay, he was the guy who was like the the the, the point man for the 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 conversations between the two of course you haven't read that book so you don't know what i'm talking about uh for those of our viewers who have read the book however they will know what i'm talking about yeah. um, ahead, david try and shame me yeah i've tried but you know i can tell it's not working real well um but the 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 
nature of the beast is that they're feeling their way into these relationships. They're feeling their way into how it's going to work. At some point, there's going to have to be a formalization at a higher level of exactly how this works. But as I see it right now, the folks who will do that formulating in so much as they are aware of what's going on at all are deliberately standing back and watching what's evolving before they start handing down any hard and fast rules. I think that's a lot of what Jonas is doing here. Right. Okay. And I think that Isaac and Susan, by their very nature, have now become his star team for what he's trying to accomplish, which gives well, they're, us they're a huge precedent. hook for where we get to send them next. Yeah. Okay. And, They've and earned they, that. Yeah. They set precedent yeah. everything with everything they do. Yeah, and they're so, still they're they're still junior enough that their superiors can say, "Hey, we didn't have anything to do with this." If yeah. they ultimately wind up inadvertently blowing up a star system or something like that, I mean, you know, well, I mean, they are they are Jacob's characters. I mean, you know, this could happen. <laughs> <laughs> so but I've been uh, placed on my diet, David. Uh, yeah, you know, well, somebody pointed busy. out. Somebody pointed out in one of my books, I killed 5,000 star systems in one paragraph. That was in flashback, okay? But I just took out the entire galactic imperium, you know, and like, yeah, oh, yeah, that died. It's like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least Jacob hasn't done that yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've dropped in a, a line. Oh, yeah, Earth's dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so. Oops. But the uh, the Welltel deal, uh, file deals a lot with societal and individual bias as it's revealed through investigative uh, the investigation that Susan and Isaac are, par are taking part in. Um, was, was this uh, an aspect you wanted to explore? Was the kind of uh, how bias informs what you, what you're looking at? One of the things that I just kind of as an aside here that I noted in this that was uh, really added a lot of flavor to me was is that neither of the societies. Uh, in this one is shown quite as monolithic as they were in previous in the previous book. Uh, you have the Lunarian culture, which is right down to the food and their their own history. Uh, and then you have the other Lunarian history, which is right down to their food and the reasons why they are the way they are. Uh, so it was cool to see and Isaac were... and the Isaac and the spigot, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, I think. Okay, this is a little bit of what I was talking about with Honor Harrington in the first two books. Okay. Neither of these societies was ever monolithic. But when you first met them, because of the scale, the scope, the problems you were looking at, right. the detail was not, you didn't have time to stop and look at the detail. Okay, right. it was kind of like you, you, you were going down the highway fast enough that the scenery on either side was blurring. What yeah. you could see was the stuff that was farther away, the bigger, more looming right. structures. And one of the wonderful things about the Files series is that it lends itself perfectly to looking at the subtext of the various societies, because if anybody is going to have to get down into the weeds, it's going to be investigators and right. legal system. Yeah. Right. That's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. Bobby, yeah. But, but yeah, I think seriously, I mean, Jacob and I, I'm not suggesting that in the original novels we'd worked out all the details. 
Okay, because writing these books gives us an opportunity to open corners of it for ourselves right. as well as for the reader. And now we bring you our audiobook serialization of Tinker by Wynn Spencer. Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the Elven Court, the NSA, the Elven Interdimensional Agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. Tinker was trying to figure out what drastic might entail when a squad car screamed up the street and slewed in through the open gate. The cop was Nathan Chernowski, shotgun in hand. Tinker? Oil can? Tink? I'm in here she called to him, working the deadbolts. A pack of warg-like things attacked me. I think I got them all, but I wasn't taking a chance. Nathan crossed the parking lot cautiously, scanning the yard, shotgun at his shoulder. Someone stopped cord water out by the pike and said you were yelling for help over your radio line. There's an ambulance on its way. Are you okay? Where's your cousin? One got my hand. She threw open the door, stepped back to let him in, and then bolted the door shut again. It hurts like shit, but it stopped bleeding. Otherwise, I'm fine. Oil can is out with the wrecker. Sparks, edit the message to the wrecker. Oil can, Nathan's here. The monsters are dead, and I'm fine. If I'm not here when you get home, I'll be at mercy. Sure, boss. Can you wait for the ambulance? Nathan pushed up his goggles and gazed down at her with dark, concerned eyes. I can take you to the hospital. I'm fine, but the, um, the wargs were chasing down an elf. Normally, she was a stickler for accuracy, but lacking a name for the monsters, it seemed easier just to say wargs. He's in my workshop. They chewed him over good. He's still alive? Barely. I jury-rigged up a healing spell so he's stable. You've got a spell running now? Nathan asked. During shutdown? Where's the magic coming from? I'm running off of a power sink that I invented. I siphon magic into it while I'm running the crane. Nathan grinned. Only you, Tinker. Is he conscious? He was. I'm not sure about right now. Did he tell you his name? Nathan moved into just the facts mode, taking out a PDA and stylus. It's Windwolf. You know the one with the saurus? She traced a symbol in the air over her forehead. Nathan had been a rookie when he took her to the hospital that day, bleeding and crying. The one who marked you? He noted it into his PDA. The elves have a word for this. Shitty luck. It's like karma or something. Entanglement? Entanglement is a quantum theory between photons. The polarization of one entangled photon is always the opposite of the other. He worked his jaw as he thought. Yeah, once they're entangled, they stay that way, right? She looked at him, one eyebrow upraised. 
Well, there's you, him, me, and a monster. Yeah, right. Strange, even after five years and with the monster dog still fresh in her mind, it was the image of the Saurus's mouth and the all-too-many ragged teeth that made her shudder. Look, this has been pretty cranked. I talked to Tulu about that symbol that Windwolf put on me. She said that's how elves mark life debts. Tulu says that if Windwolf dies before I cancel the life debt, then some really nasty things will happen to me. Exactly what would happen changed every time she asked Tulu about it. Once Tulu had said that as Windwolf's body decayed, Tinker's would too. Another time, Tulu had insisted that Tinker would simply vanish. She tried not to believe the old Haffy, but she still had nightmares after every conversation. Nathan looked troubled. Tulu is a superstitious fool. I saw the mark. You told me how long Windwolf took making the mark. That wasn't a full spell, whatever it was. It was quick and dirty, and it's not going to turn you into a walking zombie five years later. Why would he do that to you anyhow? You were just a kid. He was angry with me. I got in his way while he was trying to kill the Saurus and pissed him off. You know what they say about elves. What they say and what is true isn't necessarily the same thing. It was nothing. It will be nothing. I'm going to save his life. I'm going to cancel the debt. We'll be even. Good. An ambulance came up the street wailing, and pulled into the yard. Nathan went out to escort the EMT, and Tinker swore when she saw who followed Nathan through the front door. You? Damn, my luck is all bad today. Johnny B. Good was an elf wannabe. Tall and slender, he wore his blonde hair elf long and had had his ears pointed back in the States. Why anyone would want to be an elf was beyond Tinker. True, the living forever came in handy, but their society sucked. The lower castes seemed practically enslaved by the castes above them, and they were all elegant, nose-in-the-air snobs. Odd, she usually thought of Johnny B. Good as a good-looking slime wad. Apparently, after a few minutes' exposure to Windwolf's level of beauty, Johnny seemed ugly as wood-grain self-stick wallpaper. Johnny smirked and grabbed his crotch. Oh, bite me. Add stupid to ugly. Tinker sidestepped quickly to block Nathan. She didn't want Johnny squashed before he had a chance to treat Windwolf. I've got a chewed up hand, and there's a guy really messed up in my workshop. Don't touch the spell I've got set up. It's keeping him stable. I like the shirt, Johnny murmured, squeezing between her and Nathan instead of going around, and made it an excuse to slide his hand over her bare stomach. Watch the hands, Nathan rumbled, continuing his big brother routine. Between him and oil can, it was no wonder she didn't date. Not that there was anyone she wanted to date. Pittsburgh had a stunning lack of young male humans who weren't buttheads. And while elves were pretty, she had yet to meet one that didn't treat her like a subspecies. Nathan glowered at Johnny until the paramedic had disappeared into her workshop. I'll take a look around. Make sure the wargs are all dead. That shotgun will only piss them off, she said, and pulled the dent mender magnet off the wall. Here, take this.
That was another installment in Win Spencer's Tinker, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkiewicz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to David Weber and Jacob Hollow, and good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars.